Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Roberta Husky has a hell of a story to tell. I'm going to give a brief outline. A mom at 17, Roberta was on welfare and living in a homeless shelter in New Haven, Connecticut. But with a lot of grit, determination, and moxie, she graduated from college and was subsequently offered a job at Albert Einstein College of Medicine in Manhattan, where, as chief departmental administrator, she managed not only a staff of 50, but $59 million in federal and state grants and contracts for the school's Department of Pediatrics. Two years later, in 2004, Roberta left her position to spend more time with her son and his baby sister. It was then that Roberta, with help from her sister, started her own residential property management company from her basement. Outreach Realty has made some 4,000 tenant-landlord matches. It's morphed into three divisions, residential property management, tenant placement, and maintenance services. Then, in 2006, Outreach Foundation was born, a nonprofit that advocates affordable housing for low- and moderate-income families. 2011 brought with it the Outreach School of Real Estate and Outreach Realty Servicing, a full-service brokerage firm. And if that's not enough to make your head spin, Roberta empowers other women through the Miss Millionaire Mindset Sisterhood. Founded in 2016, its goal is to help break the curse of poverty. So let's not waste any more time and meet this female dynamo. Roberta, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you very much for having me today. It's my pleasure. Roberta, let's rewind. Talk to me about what life was like for you growing up in Connecticut. I guess the word I'm going to use is poverty. It's one of my favorite words here lately. Um, It was a poverty-ridden life. We uh, was raised by a single mother, but at first it was my mom and my mother, my brothers and sisters, my aunt, my cousins, all living in a two-bedroom apartment about 700 square feet. My mom and dad ended up divorcing when I was eight, and she became a single mom. And uh, we went through a lot of emotional challenges, a lot of financial challenges during that time. And as I, in retrospect, I, I look at my life and I um, wonder why I was such an angry child. But I was a very angry child. I found myself fighting a lot, and and I did not get along with my mom. It was we were like uh, water and oil, like we did not mix at all for whatever reasons. And I found myself um, hanging out with with different people and and ended up being homeless. Ended up being pregnant at 17, and and felt that my life was crumbling down like an avalanche. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> And uh, not even understanding what to do with emotion at that time. It was just like, it was it was very overbearing. But what ended up happening is me, when I had a, my son at 17, uh, life became bigger to me. And I realized that statistics were against him. Uh, yes, they were against me as an African-American female high school dropout at the time, but my concern was not so much for me, but my concern was for my son, um, who was an African-American um, young boy, baby boy, who was born to a mother who was a high school dropout at the time, a father who was a drug dealer at the time. I had absolutely nothing to offer him except cyclical poverty. Hmm. And that I did not want to happen. And that's when life changed. That's where the determination began to rise up in me because of a mother's love. And if anyone has any children, you understand that you love your children more than you love yourself. And, and because of this love, 
I pushed and pushed and pushed so that I can create a better life for him. But along the way, God created a better life for us. I mean, you knew to do this on your own. You did. Did you not have any guidance, any help? Or were you just it was just Roberta and your baby when when this epiphany hit you? Well, what ended up happening is my godparents took me out the shelter. Uh, Reverend Robert and Cynthia Pulley, they were pastors and they took me into their house and they took me in as their own child. And this was the first time that I saw the inside of a single family house. I didn't even know what an inside of a single family house looked like. Oh, good God. So when we talk about a level of poverty, I had no idea that someone can have a bathroom in their bedroom. Wow. It was unheard of. In a walk-in closet, you mean to tell me you could walk in a closet? Like, I had <laughs> no idea. <laughs> Roberta, what year was this? Oh, this was in the 90s. This was definitely in the 90s. And so and here they are. They brought me into their new world, a new world for me. And not only did they expose me to something greater than what I was exposed to, but what they also introduced me to is the power of having a vision for the future. And what they did is they spoke life to me when I thought that all things were counted out, where I was at my lowest point, where I thought I was going to amount to absolutely nothing, how I made all these perceived mistakes. But what they said to me sounds very simple, but it was a game changer. It was a mindset shift that happened. They said it more than one time, and I believe with repetition, that's where things start to change. And what they said to me is, Roberta, you're destined for greatness. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care who gave up on you. I don't care if you were in a shelter. I don't care if you were homeless. I don't care if you're on welfare. I don't care if you don't know how to pay your bills. I don't care if you think you made all the mistakes in the world. I don't care how hard it is. You are still destined for greatness. There's greatness in your life. You're going to be powerful. You're going to have a testimony. You're going to change this world. And so... You know, the first time it was like, okay, that was some a new concept introduced to me, positive thinking and, and positive energy. Right. But went over and over and over again. I began to believe, well, maybe I am destined for greatness. What if I am? And what if there is another world that I could produce for myself and for my son? And what if there is a such thing as financial freedom? What if that's true? And so with that, coupled with my faith and my belief in God that I am destined that there's a purpose for my life as there's purposes for everyone else's life that I was just going to see what life was going to bring me if I put, put, put it out there. If I really gave God something to work with. And so that's what I did. (laughs) So their relationship with you and this intractable belief that they had in you was really transformational, obviously. And it was something that you hadn't gotten before. Now, let me just ask you during that time, were you still estranged from your mother? Yes. Yes, I was. Okay, so then they became your surrogate family. And, Absolutely. And so through this positive reinforcement, I gather that you went back to school and got your high school diploma. Mm-hmm. So with the positive reinforcement, they, they were there. They actually took me to school. They drove a little under an hour to bring me to school every day. Why? Why so far? Because where they lived at and where I was enrolled at in school was far. Okay. And instead of them enrolling me where they lived at, they kept me to try to keep me stable. Okay. And they, so the dedication that they took for someone else's child is just amazing. And so the positive reinforcement, yes, and the constant reminding that there's purpose in in life. And that, um, you know, things that we go through the test in our life are just strictly for testimonies that are going to happen in our life. 
And so it's really how you dealt with They gave me tools on how to deal with problems. In spite of all of that love and support that you were getting, I'm sure it was still really tough for you to reenter into high school. It was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. Um, one, when I was when I was in a shelter, there were buses that took you to school. Uh, so that was very embarrassing, being sh- dropped off, you know, from the shelter van to the school. Right. For, they, they had that for teenagers. But when my godparents came in, you know, they, they made life a little bit more normal for me. But, yes, it was very, very hard. But I wanted more for my son mm-hmm. than I wanted it for me. And so it became bigger than me. And so as I talk and I and I teach people about the power of the mindset and the power of success, how you become successful, my rule number one is life has to be bigger than you. Mm-hmm. Because when life becomes bigger than you, you can't give up. Wow. And that's what happened. Life became bigger than me. I looked at my brown boy, my black boy, and I realized that I had nothing to offer him except generational poverty. I realized that if I didn't change the course of my life to change the course of his life, not only would I lose him possibly to the jail cells, not only would I lose him possibly to the streets and hanging out as his father did, it was a great chance I could lose him to gang violence because that's what I was exposed to. That was what everything was around me that was happening. It was a lot of gang violence. And so I realized those three things my son was at high risk of encountering unless I did something. So this is not so much about me trying to save me. This is me, a mother, trying to save her son before the world beat him up or the world take him. So I ended up went going uh, to school, went to Gateway Community College, of which I'm in the Hall of Fame right now, and I also sit on the board to um, help with the scholarships for the students. But uh, I went to Gateway, and Gateway – had a program, it was an internship with Yale University. And Yale University, as you know, is in New Haven, where I'm from. Right. And I got the internship in the Department of Pediatrics Business Office at Yale University. The internship was a short mail. But for me, it was a huge opportunity for me to improve my life. They were giving me $9.14 an hour, which was great for me. And so let me tell you, I was the best mail sorter you ever want to see. Like, I took pride in that mail. I knew everybody's name. The mail was on time. It was organized. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I was the best mail sorter ever. I was so good that within three weeks they gave me a promotion. And then I continued to get promotions within um, the Department of Pediatrics in, in, uh, at Yale University. And I began, they showed me how to handle the grants and contracts and how to handle the payroll and HR and really showed me the ropes of how Yale worked within the business office. And I managed grants and contracts for um, a department within pediatrics of whom the chairperson became the chairman of Department of Pediatrics at Albert Einstein. And so when he... Uh, became when he accepted this position, he recruited me to go along with him. So he recruits you from Connecticut to go to Manhattan, which, uh, uh, for those people not familiar with the logistics, this is not around the corner. You know, people don't live in New Haven and commute to Manhattan because it's about two hours away. Yeah, it was the office was actually in the Bronx, New York. Oh, so a little and, closer, but big deal. <laughs> yes, yeah, it was a two-hour commute. <laughs> It was definitely a two-hour commute. It was a dedic- it was definitely um, dedication, but he ended up 
uh, doubling my salary. Where were you living at that point? Were you still with your godparents, or had you and no. your son gotten your own space? I definitely had gotten my own space. I was already in the real estate arena. So what ended up happening as I was sorting mail, and this is how God is, this is what happens. I'm sorting mail, and there's this, this neon piece of paper that I'm putting in everyone's mailbox. And something about this neon piece of paper, neon green piece of paper that was standing out to me, and didn't this paper did not have my name on it, but it had everyone's name except for mine, but I was curious. So I opened up the extra uh, mail that, you know, didn't belong in the, in the right, mailbox. Right, right. And I opened it up, and it said, first-time homebuyer seminar for Yale employees. You would have thought that I just stole a million dollars. My heart started racing and beating so mm-hmm, hard. Mm-hmm. I took the paper, crumbled it up really fast, and stuffed it in my pocket. I went to the bathroom, and I almost I, I just kept looking at the paper, and I was like, this is for me. I want to own real estate. This is for me. And so... I had a battle of a mind, my mindset and my mind was like, you're 21, you're black. You, you don't even have savings. Like, what do you mean you're going to own a house? Right. What are you talking about? So I had to get past my own um, self-sabotage, my own fear, my own doubt. And your own insecurities I, for, for heaven's sake. Yes. And so I went and I went to that seminar and I battled all the internal fears, and it was it was uncomfortable because no one looked like me in there. But I battled it, and at the end, uh, I went and asked questions, and set up another meeting, and I ended up getting qualified for a mortgage, and um, it changed my life. At twenty one, yes, uh-huh. making nine dollars and fourteen cents an hour. So this is one of the reasons why I'm super passionate about teaching real estate because many people think you need to have a lot of money to invest in real estate, which is not the case. And a lot of people think you need a lot of money to buy real estate, which is not the case. I was making $9.14 an hour when I purchased my first four-family home, which ultimately yielded me over a quarter of a million dollars. That is positively crazy. At $9.14 an hour, you were approved for a mortgage? Yes, I was approved for a mortgage for a four-family home. And this is why I teach it. You know, this is why I teach real estate investing because a lot of people can't even fathom that thought. So what happens is if you buy a multifamily house, four units or less, which my property was four units, that the mortgage company will use 75% of the projected rental income and add it to your base salary. Okay. So even though I was making nine dollars and fourteen cents an hour, whatever that annual salary is, twenty dollars, I mean twenty thousand, eighteen thousand, whatever the number is, uh, they were able to use an additional uh, roughly three thousand dollars a month to my salary to qualify me. So then you get this approval, you make this purchase, and is is it at that point that you switch jobs and go into the Bronx to go to the Albert mm-hmm. Einstein College of Medicine? No, no, I still, I took advantage of the first time home buyers program at Yale and I still continued to work there and make my way up through the ranks there. And what I did, it just made financial sense. Now, at the time, I could not even afford an apartment at $9.14 an hour, but I bought this house. Yeah. So what I did <laughs> is a four family. The mortgage was $1,100. No way I was affording $1,100 a month. But what I did is the third floor, I rented it out to a Section 8 recipient for guess how much? $1,100. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, now I created affordable housing for myself and my son. 
and then the other two units, one brought in $900 a month, the other was $600 a month. So I cash flowed $1,500 a month, whether I went to punch a clock or not. And we lived on the second floor rent and mortgage free. Wow. Wow. So for me, it just made financial sense. I did it and, and I got bit by the real estate bug. And that's when I started investing in real estate and really becoming financially free and doing all things real estate while I was working um, while I was working at Yale and while I was working at Albert Einstein. I worked at Albert Einstein for two years, and then the commute just became too much. Yeah. And then I said, you know what? I love this real estate thing. And at this time, I was flipping properties and making an average of $150,000 every three, no more than six months. And how old were and you? So I'm like, yeah, this is now about 23, 24. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah, so I was making these six-figure checks flipping real estate, so I decided to bet on me. And at Albert Einstein, in two years, we wrote over $20 million of grants and contracts. And I said, well, if we can, especially using my intellectual property, if we can bring $20 million to Albert Einstein in two years, what can I do for myself? Right. And I took a bet on me, and I did something that a lot of people are afraid to do, and that is to leave a six-figure job with a chauffeur at that time, and I was still in my early 20s. And people thought I was crazy because of where I come from. People thought I arrived mm -hmm. because I have a six-figure job, and I'm early 20s. I had a chauffeur early 20s, and I was on welfare. I was homeless. So people thought, oh, this is it. And so when I said I'm leaving this company. <laughs> sure. They're going to have you committed, right? <laughs> yeah. My grandmother begged me. I think she even cried. She was like, no, don't leave those rich doctors. Don't you leave them. <laughs> the contrast can't be lost on you from starting this conversation with me where you had not one iota of belief in yourself to do uh -huh. a complete 180. Now, maybe this is a little ho-hum for you, but come on. I mean, your godparents obviously don't even probably realize the potency of what they did for you because you had nothing. And, and, uh -huh. and I don't even mean concrete-wise. I mean in terms of self-belief. You know, mm -hmm. and that you just kind of, well, okay, I'm going to move from here and then I'm going to go to here. You make this so matter of fact. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, again, I really bought into that there's purpose in my life. And whatever it took and whatever test I had to pass, because that's why I looked at problems as tests, whatever I had to encounter, as long as I learned from them, it wasn't a problem, and I grew from them. Mm -hmm. And so when you have that mindset that problems really aren't problems, but they're platforms and opportunities for you to prosper, something changes, and uh, you become fearless. And that's what really stunts most of our growth in, in being who we know we're designed to be is the fear factor. So when you remove that out of the equation, things change. Right. And that's what happened with me. You know, I removed it out the equation. And to my godparents, no, they didn't understand the magnitude. And now that I speak with them and they see all the things, they're like, they're calling me and they're crying. They're like, I saw you on television. I, <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I'm flicking the channel and you're here. And, uh, and they were crying and just like sobbing. And they're like, you would never understand. People don't understand how a good deed can alter a life in such a, a way. So take us now on this journey. Why did you start Outreach 
And tell me why you call your company Outreach. So here we are. I'm Albert Einstein, and I'm commuting back and forth, and I'm on the highway on 95, and, and going to 95 is a highway, going to New York. And I was listening to this song from Yolanda Adams, and the song started talking about basically having to be you and to face your fears and everyone won't accept your ideas, but you have to ultimately be who God has called you to be. And, um, and it was a song that I remember in it. You ever had a song that you listen to and it just hits you inside. Mm -hmm. And this was that type of song. I started crying hysterically on the highway. I pulled over on the highway because I was hysterically crying because this song did something to me. And I knew right then and there that although I was seemed to be in a good place financially, there was a higher call and there was much more that needed to be done. And so, as I said before, when life becomes bigger than you, you can't give up. And and so I remember on the highway, I was like, um, I want to start this business of which I was playing with real estate and I wanted to become intentional about it. And I, on the highway, I named it right after crying, because that's when I totally said, all right, I'm going to start this business and I'm going to give it all I have, because I believe that the business that I'm going to create is not for Roberta Hosky, that there were people waiting for me to get into position, that there were people who needed some help, and I had the capabilities of helping them. In other words, marginalized people. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I named it Outreach because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to outreach. I wanted to help out and reach others. And... My godparents' church, the name of the church is called Outreach for Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you give birth to this in your basement, and then <laughs> how long from that point till it really got off the ground and started to fly? And were you taken seriously when you first started Outreach Realty? When we started the company, my sister was the only one that was crazy enough to believe in something that we didn't even see naturally yet. Uh, she was the only one that believed that, yeah, we can start something, and we start right where we are. And it was in my basement with one telephone with two rings, one ring for the fax to come through and another wing for business to come through for us to answer the phone. Uh, we were in my basement oh, maybe a little less than a year, and then we graduated to my living room. <laughs> <laughs> you came up in the world. From, <laughs> graduated from my living room into my kitchen and then when I graduated from my kitchen to my bedroom I was like okay this is where we yeah, have right. to figure out what <laughs> right. we, I gotta move yeah <laughs> so um a little under two years as a home-based business before we found our first commercial space and what did you want to do with outreach did you want this to be a commercial entity or did you want it to be residential and were you looking for clientele who were like you? I wanted residential and I wanted to solve a problem. I believe every business ever created was created to solve a problem. Like we're on Skype right now that solves the problem of the communication, a better way of communication recorded. Mm -hmm. Everything that's created was created to solve a problem. And so my business outreach property management, my thought process was I want to get more people into investing in real estate because real estate investing changed my life. And then I thought, why aren't people investing in real estate? And then I said, you know what? It's probably all the tenants. They're scared to death of these tenants. <laughs> 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 and so I said, well, if I could take and I could help the landlord 
remove the fear of the tenants, and if I can manage the tenants for them, then maybe more of them will think about investing in real estate and create generational wealth. So that was my thought process. It wasn't like I want to make a million dollars. It was always like, how can I help someone else prosper? So then before long, this really took off. Not before the real estate market crash. Oh, right. <laughs> so, yes, it took off. I was happy. I was I was dancing in the sun, and it was just great. And then one day I went to work, and everything stopped. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so we had to weather the real estate market crash, and and doing that, we had to change positions. And and then after, we, we held on and, and changed with the economy, and and things started going up in the right direction. So you have this business in terms of Outreach Realty. And then, as I said, you gave birth to this nonprofit that advocates affordable housing. Everything that I touch has to do with what I have overcome. I believe to be intentional in that, again, you, you go through certain things just so you can learn and that you can help others. Every business I created has everything to do with what I overcome and how I can help others to do it. Outreach Foundation advocates on homelessness as well as uh, the creation of affordable housing. My first apartment was $79, and it included heat and hot water, and that was something that changed my life. I used it as a hand up, not a hand out, and it made it easier for me to go back to school because I didn't have to work two or three different jobs in order to provide for my son and to put food on the table. So I know the power of affordable housing. And so for me, that's something that I'm very passionate about. Homelessness, I'm very passionate about. So, um, yes, everything that I birth is birthed out of what I have been through in life. When you look at life today and the issue of homelessness today versus when you first started, is there any kind of improvement, for lack of a better word? Or do you just feel sometimes that your shoulders are sagging because we may not have made as much progress as we'd like to think we have? I cannot measure the world. It becomes too big. Only thing I can measure is what I have control over. And if I look at what I had control over years ago and what I have control over now, there's been substantial growth. I can um, I can look at how lives have been changed because of what I've done or what my companies have done. And I'm sure you heard the story about Elmer Alvarez, the homeless guy who found my $10,000 check. Yes, and that's how I found you, okay? And Mm -hmm. I would like you to share that anecdote. Talk about that experience. Mm -hmm. So that has everything to do with what we were talking about up until now, was that I lost this check. I didn't even know I lost the check. So here I am. I was a, a, a girl that was homeless and welfare, a single mother, just all of it plagued in poverty. Here I am losing $10,000 checks and didn't even know it. But that was through your so, business. That was a, a business check, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was my business check. Mm-hmm. And so it was from a closing that I had recently did. And um, when my office, one of my assistants received a phone call that a gentleman had found my check, I said, I'm going to go downstairs and meet with him. And so I put on Facebook because I was just so happy that there were good Samaritans. And so on Facebook, I went and did a Facebook Live, and I was like, there are so many good Samaritans. Not so many. I was like, there are, I don't care what you say, there's still good Samaritans out here. And I began to share how this gentleman found my check, and I'm looking for him to return it. Now, truth be told, I thought I was going to find a man in a navy blue, sh- uh, navy blue suit, a crisp white shirt, and a ruby right. red tie, and 
freshly polished shoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that was not what happened. Like the the, it, the person who found my check was homeless and they didn't fit what I thought they would look like. And when he told me he was homeless, it, something happened and ricocheted within me. And um, I felt like I wanted to do something for him because of his compassion and doing the right thing. Um, and also because like you walked a mile to. in his shoes as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And here I am on the other side of the equation now. And and so I had the, the ability to do it. And so I felt in my heart that this was the right thing to do. And I just did it. I followed my heart and never thinking that this was going to hit international media. I mean, I interviewed in Japan and Russia. Well, tell everybody what, what you did once you found him and he gave you the check. Well, what I wanted to do was to change his life. I didn't necessarily want to put a Band-Aid on a problem. Giving him money would have been a Band-Aid, and I did give him money. Mm -hmm. That would have been a Band-Aid. But what I also did is I went ahead and made some connections and made some phone calls on behalf of of myself and, and trying to connect some dots with him. And I was able to get him some resources, wrap him in resources to help change his life, one of them being helping him to speak English as a second language. The second was we ended up getting him um, counsel and consultation on some things. I was also able to get him um, employment so that he had uh, could get his hands to working. We also sent him to my real estate school. I gave him a full ride tuition so that he can come to my real estate school. And last but certainly not least, I was able to take him off of the street and give him put him into housing so that he was not literally on the green downtown in New Haven in the wintertime sleeping. So I took him out of the homeless state of which he was in. And you changed this man's life big time. Well, you know, to God be the glory. I just remember. Well, you know what, Roberta? When I watched this piece on television and I saw this, the one thing that you haven't gotten to, and I don't want you to omit, is the fact that you and this gentleman are kind of joining forces to build transitional housing. Absolutely. So everything has purpose underneath the sun. And, you know, as it was a $10,000 check from the beginning, I knew that it was more than a $10,000 check. But what we're doing right now is he is now on the board of directors of Outreach Foundation. God. And <laughs> and uh, he is helping to shape the vision of the teenage, I don't want to say homeless shelter, I want to call it a transitional home that we are in the planning phases of right now. As you know, I said I was in a teenage shelter, so I still may get emotional. I, oh, Lord, I get emotional just telling the story. Whew. And here I am in the planning stages of building a, a teenage shelter or a transitional home and and also wanting it to be a place where it can transform lives as my life has been changed. And um, who better to, to help carve a vision than someone who knows what it's like um, to be homeless and to be in a situation. So, um, yes, he's sitting on my board of directors, and he is phenomenal. He's such a huge visionary to help shape the way that we run and we build um, this teenage transitional home. So, Roberta... I hear that it's more than just a businesswoman and a philanthropist. You're also an author. 
Yes, I am super excited. My first book, as from I believe many to come, but my first book is called The Poverty Curse Broken, a Roberta Hosky story. And I'm super excited about that book. It actually talks about my life. It shares my life um, from being a young girl that we talked about, but of course in more detail, and how I became who I am today and how we can use what I've overcome in my life to help others, as it's always been about, to break what I call the poverty curse. So I'm excited about that. You know, Roberta, it's not lost on me that you give such new, potent meaning to paying it back. What you do, you're so inspirational, and I feel really blessed to have gotten to know you and to hear your story. And I was so taken with that piece about you on CBS Sunday Morning, which I might add is probably my most favorite show in the whole wide world, and how it just became, like I said, such a natural act for you. You know, Roberta Hosky, you are a hell of a woman. Thank you so much. Thank you. And the world needs many more Roberta Huskies, especially in this day and age. So whatever new adventures and pursuits that come your way, I ask you this. Will you come back and share them with us? Absolutely. I would love to. Well, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Totally my pleasure. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Sandy Klein.